The Start On Demand. On demand. A Winnipeg man has been wearing shorts for 18 years and will continue to do so until the Bombers win the Grey Cup. So we're going to have a chat about sports superstitions and lucky items. Mayor Brian Bowman joins us as well to talk downtown safety strategies. And on that subject, would more security cameras to help with downtown safety create privacy issues? And Winnipeg's Calia Flowers, a wonderful Winnipeg success story we've been following for the last three years, is set to face the Dragon's Den. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's in Calgary, covering the Grey Cup, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, November 20th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is in Calgary. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, guys. How are you today? We're doing okay. And actually, Greg, I, I feel like we should just say this right out of the gate because in classic Mackling and McGarry fashion, Loren, this is something that we used to do all the time where we would say we're going to give away a prize at such and such a time <laughs> and then we would fail to do so. So yesterday, Greg, at 9.30, I very loudly said at the end of this segment, we're going to give away a radon detector courtesy of the Manitoba Lung Association's Tackle Radon Campaign and an autographed photo of spokesperson Adam Big Hill. And did we give that away? We sure didn't. No. We sure didn't. Completely I even forgot. remember you saying you were well, going to do were, that. You were there remotely on your way in an Uber, if I recall, reflecting Correct. on the gas prices and all the niceties of Calgary. All the niceties. Uh, sorry about the snow. The snow that you guys are getting in Winnipeg is probably the snow we had here in Calgary yesterday. So what are you it's making about? its way west. What snow are you talking about in Winnipeg? Sorry, aren't you getting snow today? Uh, we're not. Well, not yet. Uh, uh, let's okay. see if we're getting some. Too. I heard it in Jeff Braun's forecast. Well, so. two to three centimeters of snow, I guess, today, but not not yet. Right, okay. now, it's, right now, it's all right. Before we get sidetracked, we're giving away something right now. Is that what we're doing? We're going to give away. We'll do it at the end of this segment. Okay, but okay. <laughs> now, four of us know this. If we go to break and don't give away this radon detector, then we have all failed. Okay? So let's. we're going to collectively fall on the sword if we don't do this. So radon detector kit at the end of this segment, and then we'll give away another one at 945 like we were supposed to yesterday. How's your adventure been in Calgary so far, Greg? It's been fantastic. Uh, it's easy to get around, and unless you're walking. <laughs> walking was all borderline treacherous yesterday in the snow, and uh, very little sand or salt down uh, in the downtown area. So Christian O'Mel was consistently uh, watching over me. I said, is this a little bit like traveling with your dad, Christian, <laughs> making sure that he doesn't fall and take a spill? And, and of course, Christian is polite enough not to, not to say what he was thinking. But uh, no, we got our we got a, our lay of the land yesterday and uh, went and saw the terrific facilities they've got. Uh, some people know the Calgary Stampede grounds, and they've got not only the Saddle Dome on the grounds and the great big stadium that they have for horse racing and all the other Stampede activities. They also have the old Stampede Corral, which has been renamed the BMO Center, and there's a big convention center and event center attached to that. So it's a sprawling facility. It's right on the LRT line. It connects the stadium with the Saddle Dome and the Stampede Grounds. Uh, it's kind of all connected by the LRT, even though they're about uh, eight kilometers apart. It's uh, really a fantastic setup. Loren, I wanted to ask you about this. 
I'm going to mention the words throne speech, which for some might be instantly, oh my. But wait, but, there were cannons. Yes. So you told me about this in the morning that I will be able to hear the cannon fire. I'm sitting in my apartment at, I guess it was one o'clock, and I hear this just loud bang. And I thought, what was that? So I figured it was some sort of construction or some, I don't know, something in the parking lot. And then I heard another one 30 seconds later. So I got up and looked outside and I can't see anything. I have no idea what it is. And then I finally hear another one. And then it clued in, like, that's the cannon fire? My mm-hmm. God, that is loud. It was just thunderous. Like, it was shaking my apartment building. Yeah, they fire them from the Manitoba legislature before every throne speech. And you're right. If you were to actually go physically and watch the speech itself, you'd see the politicians walk in slowly into the gallery, and then they sit down, and then the lieutenant governor gets up, and they read the speech, and then people bang their fists, you know, when they're excited about something. But, but you get a lot out of it. And actually, yesterday... In addition to the excitement of the cannon fire, there were a few things that were mentioned as plans for the coming year by the Conservatives that we'll get into more just after 6.30, and that's more money for crime, uh, talking about removing the restrictions on Sunday shopping or holiday shopping, because a lot of grocery stores can't open up on days like Good Friday. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you could say throne speech, but... Not this one, and especially not when you get to hear those cannons. Yeah, the can- oh, here, let's hear it again. Please. So that is me on my balcony on the 16th floor at Evergreen Place, and I just could not believe how loud they were. But yeah, there were a lot of good stuff came out of that throne speech, the, the Sunday and holiday shopping thing. I know that that was kind of coming, but it still caught me off guard because that common sense often does not prevail with stuff like this. No, and when it comes to the restrictions around shopping on holidays and Sunday shopping hours, it, Manitoba has long been viewed as one of the most restrictive places in the country, so it's nice to see that they're going to remove some of those restrictions. Still going to leave it up to the towns and municipalities. So, for example, I live south of Winnipeg, Steinbeck. You go there on a Sunday, nothing's open. Uh, I think maybe some restaurants might be, but the superstores, Walmarts aren't. So I don't know if that means anything for them, because if it's still left up to the towns and the cities, then they still get their say. But we'll have the mayor on at 745. We'll ask him if he's ready to open up some of the rules and uh, let the shopping fly. Mackling, what do you think of this? Well, I'm always worried about workers' rights, but I I was a restaurant guy. I worked restaurant uh, hours, and the whole idea of working evenings and weekends is sort of a personal choice. And I worked a lot of Sundays in my day, Uh, but I saw this coming for a long time, the idea that, A, there are people that want to earn money on the weekend, and B, if you go out and, and shop on the weekend, you know it's busy. In fact, for some retailers, they'll insist it's their most efficient day of the year because they open a little bit early, uh, later pardon me, and they close a little bit earlier and uh, they're as busy as they are on Sunday for the hours that they're open as they are on a Saturday. So this is a good thing. I hope we don't see uh, wide open shopping on Christmas and Easter Sunday and stuff like that, but who knows what might happen. I'm pretty sure West Edmonton Mall is open on Christmas Day here in Alberta. And what are we doing at 707, Loren? Well, we've been talking all week about downtown crime and some of the strategies that we're going to potentially adopt uh, after officials and Richard Cloutier, CJOB's Richard Cloutier, traveled to Minneapolis. They included more security cameras, those kinds of things. Well, a privacy lawyer has some concerns, and it's raising some interesting points about constantly being on camera. If we add hundreds of cameras, should the rest of us kind of be worried about uh, being snapped and videoed all the time? Yeah, it's kind of. I don't like the idea of being watched all the time. No, but I like the idea of catching criminals. Yeah, I just don't want to be on 
on the camera at all times. Up next, hey, Greg's in Calgary for a football game on Sunday. We're going to hear from one of the key Winnipeg Blue Bombers right after we check your forecast in halt. three minutes. Halt. What? You have to give something away, Brett. Oh, my gosh. There it is. There it is. <laughs> See, that's the, the team, the team spirit, the radon detector. Thank you very much, Greg. The You're radon, welcome. I forgot again. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of us I had was nothing. still like, I'm awake. not even thinking about it. We've been telling you about this Winnipeg man whose wife describes him as an idiot. Yes, and this has to do with one of his superstitions. And we know many of you have them, but what this next fan has done for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for the past 18 years, I should add, goes well beyond anything I think most of us would have considered. Here's Global's Amber Magookan with his commitment to the team. Every day for the past 18 years, Chris Matthew has been only putting on his shorts. So when somebody said to me, well, how long are you going to be wearing those shorts? I said, well, until the Bombers win the Grey Cup. And they were supposed to beat Calgary that Sunday. And they went out and lost. So I've been ever since. And he's kept his word for nearly two decades, only wearing pants to funerals and dodging funny looks in the winter and the jokes from his wife. There have been times when we've been out and it's like really cold and I'm wearing my fur coat. And then you do get the stares and people are like, what's wrong with that? And I just tell them it. It's okay, he's an idiot. <laughs> I have to admit, this is not the brightest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's actually, so he's got his pants ready. He showed Amber the camo pants that he's going to take with him to this great cup party he's going to on Sunday. And if the Bombers win, he's ready to throw those pants on. Those pants are 19 years old, or does he buy new pants Every year? Yearly hoping that he'll get to wear them and then having to get, donate them away or something. But you know what? Hal Anderson had him on yesterday, and Hal made a public promise that if the Blue Bombers beat Hamilton Sunday, he will take Chris Matthew shopping for a pair of pants. Really? Oh, that's great. <laughs> nice. Maybe he'll bring wife Jackie into yeah, a little fashion did. show. He said he was going to bring Jackie because she's a, <laughs> a fashionista. Yeah. So, Mackling, what was your reaction to this when you heard about Chris Matthew? I love this. This is dedication in its purest and most unadulterated fashion. I I think it's absolutely uh it it, it is so Winnipeg, right? Uh, the shorts in the winter my brother Chris used to be a hockey goalie back in the day and he only wore shorts on game days to the rink and people thought he was nuts. I couldn't imagine Bob Irving doing it for 19 years. Neither can I. I no, I think his wife's got it nailed. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny you say that, Bob, because before I play, listened to the story this morning, I said to Brett, I wonder what his wife thinks. And then as soon as I heard that, I was like, she nailed it, man. She well, wait a minute. Does, so, does he wear these shorts in January and yes. February yes. when he goes out the door to get in his car? He only puts pants on for occasions like a few like you know to be Jeez. respectful otherwise yeah. so are you saying bob you've never had a crazy thing you've done in the name of a sports team well uh no I, not uh, not anything that would compare to what this guy's doing and i i understand in 2001 why he was so confident because that's the year the bombers should have won the great cup they had the best team by far and they were upset by the calgary stampeders so he probably did it thinking oh there's no way i'm gonna lose this and he lost big time you know we kid brad foddy the bomber equipment manager mm has a thing where he wears shorts all the time, all season long. He doesn't put any pads. It doesn't matter how cold it is, he wears shorts on the sidelines. And 
uh, we kid Brad that uh, he's the the jinx for this team because he joined them in 1991 and they haven't won a great cup since. <laughs> and, uh, he Maybe. used to laugh when we kidded him about that, but he doesn't anymore. Maybe he needs to put on some pants. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I so think it's that... all come down to the pants. Is that what we've determined here? That that this is what's keeping the Blue Bombers <laughs> away from a Grey Cup championship is Chris Matthew wearing uh, shorts and Brad Foddy not wearing pants. Yeah, great. Kelly. Well, and, I had an email from somebody who said uh, the, uh, this week, and he said, we all got to take a collection and buy Mike O'Shea a new cap because he wears this cap on the <laughs> sideline during the games, and it's a ratty, ragged-looking old thing. And I, I haven't asked Mike, but I think he wears it because they've been winning while he's wearing it. That can be the only explanation I can come up with. And then there's his beard. Uh, yes. I get emails from people, when are you going to shave that hideous beard? <laughs> I, honestly, that Bob, thing is multicolored. And it's huge. I thought that on Sunday. I was like, I think maybe this is a playoff beard. It, yeah, it seemed to yeah. like double in size I by the end of the game Sunday. Usually, I mean, I'm a guy with a beard, and I know, you know, you trim it every now and then. And I was looking at it on Sunday. I was like, I don't think he's trimmed that beard in quite some time. So yeah, he, he's, he's letting he, it ride. He's rivaling Patrick Lyonet on the ugly scale for that <laughs> one, for sure. So, Kelly, when it comes to uh, superstitions, particularly with athletes, which is there a sport that has the, the ones where the... the with the most superstitions? Yeah, well, I think you can flip a coin between hockey and baseball. You know, and a prime example is the World Series champion Washington Nationals. They, I can't remember the player's name, Greg or Bob. You might remember, but they started playing the the shark song or the whatever Baby that shark, Baby, Baby shark. shark, yeah. Oh God, for his walk up song. Yeah, for his walk up <laughs> song, and they started winning, so they just kept on playing it and playing it and playing it. And uh, you know, it, but hockey players, they're the same way. Like they have to tape their sticks the right way, or they got to put the right skate on, the left skate on after that, that type of thing. Uh, so I'd I'd say it's a tie. Yeah, and uh, Jeff Braun, do you have any superstitions? Uh, I well, just in, in that regard, sort of like I get dressed sort of the same way in the morning. Like I'm not gonna come out of the shower and then put my shirt on first. I would that would just the day would be ruined if I did that. What? So there's an order of operations there <laughs> yeah, that must be. Like that's not superstition. That's just being OCDC. <laughs> I don't <laughs> or whatever it is. I think that's being an idiot. Oh, that's what ouch. that wife. That's oh. what that wife would say. No, seriously, has this made a difference in your day? Like you actually, when you do it wrong, your day. I would goes spend. Badly? The, I would spend the day thinking about every little thing that go wrong. Is like, is it because I did the oh. the shirt before the gitch? Well, I mean, maybe maybe the, some of the superstition stuff does tie into this kind of sports psychology thing, right? Because Greg, I mean, you see it with golfers in particular, or, or basketball. Maybe basketball is the best example. Guys at the free throw line, they go through the same drill every yeah. time they take a shot. Like Patrick Ewing, for example, he used to. I think he would like wipe his. Uh, or was it Alonzo Mourning? Was it Ewing who would wipe his brow with his I, wristband? I or? think it was Patrick Ewing, but uh, now then you now you threw me off with Alonzo Mourning. Could have been either one of those guys. But the point is, most of those guys do have a routine at the yeah. line. And uh, guys, there was a situation on Sunday in Regina after the Bombers won the West Final. They were presented with the Western Division trophy oh, right. on field level, and none of them would touch it. Now, this is one of those goofy things that athletes have about touching trophies if it's not a championship trophy. Michael Shea always says, you can touch the Grey Cup if you've won it. Otherwise, you should not ever lay your hands on it. And I asked him on the show on Monday night, yeah, I saw you didn't, t- you didn't touch the trophy, and he sort of, he didn't want to go there and say, well, you know, it's a superstition, because he doesn't like it to well, admit you that. You can't use that word, because yeah. then it just didn't. But none of the players up. touched it, because I guess they felt, well, who knows what they feel, but it's like, no, we got to win the big one. But and it, then, 
Am I wrong, Bob? Haven't they touched it before? I seem to remember, I think in 2001, because I was at the game, I thought they grabbed the trophy afterwards, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, they may have, Loren. I I can't remember, but yeah, they they probably did. Oh, in 2011 they did. Yeah. I remember the Bombers celebrating with that Eastern Championship trophy. But I noticed it struck me once on Sunday that they, none of them, None of them would touch it. So yeah, you, you see that in the Stanley Cup playoffs all the time. Sure. too. those yep. players cannot stay far enough away from that Western Conference trophy before they head to the Stanley Cup final. Greg, you, you're a superstitious guy. When you're at home watching a football game or any any game that you're watching, you know, when you're rooting for a team, are there certain things that you won't do? Like uh, if you get up to go to the kitchen and then your team scores, do you come back? I'm not. Su- I'm. I'm a little stitious. Um, I- <laughs> That's one way to put it. I have been vanquished to the kitchen in the past uh, when the Jets have scored goals when I've been out of the room. So that has happened. Uh, my buddy Dave Lind. We forced him to stay in the kitchen. I think it was the '92 playoffs because the Jets scored two goals when he was in the kitchen <laughs> once, and we made him stay there for the rest of the period. And I think it was early in the period. Yeah, I don't really think about it. And you know what would be even worse than thinking about it would be talking about it so even if i had those little idiosyncrasies that i went through a checklist i wouldn't be sharing them with you this morning because then you're acknowledging the superstition and then it just it collapses on itself it just you can't talk about it we're gonna continue our coffee but thanks anyway bob <laughs> Greg, no, your sorry, mic guys. is always on. That's the rule. The mic is always hot. Sorry, guys. And you know what? You should drink coffee. It's only six oh six out there. Well, so get some tea. caffeine in you. He drinks tea. Not good enough for me, Brett. Steep tea. Steep tea would be nice, but I, I, I haven't seen any in this neighborhood. Okay, I don't well, drink sorry, coffee. Sorry, guys. I don't drink coffee either. I feel like legendary. Voice of the Blue Bombers, Bob Irving, could go get you a steep tea right now. <laughs> I'm not going to ask him to do that. Tell I, mean, him I said he's got time. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Actually, are... he is. He's getting up. He's going to get me. He says he's going to get me a tea. I'm going, I'm going to get Greg a steep tea. <laughs> See this? I don't know where I'll get it, but I'm going to get it, okay? That's my mission for the next half oh, hour. I love it. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Should you choose to accept it. This is your mission. Uh, yes. Now, Greg, a couple of text messages here on superstitions after Chris Matthews' story. He has been wearing shorts for 18 years since the 2001 Grey Cup. Yeah, this is great. I like this one, actually. Took my cap off before the game Sunday, put it on the bench in the living room. They won. Yay. No one is to move it or touch it <laughs> till after the Grey Cup I see now I can't even read this word that this person has included, so I'm just going to say game, okay? Okay. And then you know the real word and probably our listeners too, but I'm not saying it. And then another one of our listeners says, and I'm sitting exactly like this right now, actually, my ankles have to be crossed right over left. And I, I don't know what happens. Do you spontaneously combust if you do the opposite? <laughs> but there used to be a thing called getting buffaloed at the University of Manitoba. And if you were in the Buffalo Club and you got caught, if you were right-handed, you had to drink your beer with your left hand. And if you're right-handed, you had, you know, it was the opposite. And uh, so you, you always drank your beer with with your non-prominent hand. And I'm just wondering if that person who does the ankles crossed right over left was a member of the Buffalo 
Polo Club back in the day. Well, that text came from Irene. So, Irene, if you're listening, let us know what the strategy is behind the right over left. Or left. No, yeah, right over left. Right over left. And if you got caught drinking with your prominent hand, guess what you had to do? You had to finish drinking your beer. So, Well, that's not a bad fate. No, it could be worse. You just didn't want to get caught doing it too many times in a night. And ironically, the more you have, the more likely you are to default to your prominent hand and just spiraled into ugly, Brett McGarry, spiraling into bad places. We have tickets to give away in our next segment for the Celtic Tenors, but we want to start this hour by continuing our series on downtown safety. Yeah, we've been looking at the ideas up for consideration after a group of Winnipeggers, including folks from the downtown biz, the city, police, and True North, went to Minneapolis to see what their doing there to reduce downtown crime and there are several strategies that could be adopted here in Winnipeg but the one we want to focus on now is the use of more security guards and cameras so to help expand the reach of law enforcement in downtown Minneapolis there are 13 private security guards for every one police officer and for every city owned CCTV camera there are at least 50 private cameras being used by businesses. So that adds up to hundreds of security cameras. Andrew Buck is a partner at Pibleto Law, and he also specializes in privacy issues and joins us now. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. So what are your concerns, if any, when you when you hear the possibility of expanding the security outreach through guards and cameras? Well, with respect to the cameras, could certainly work. It's just a question of whether uh, the, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And what I mean by that is, good first step would be what we call privacy impact assessment. So that's where you you look into it and you say, look, what are we trying to do? Is what we're trying to do actually going to work and accomplish that objective? And would a less privacy invasive way work? Because we know that having cameras out there, it's recording images and it can be pretty privacy invasive. And that doesn't mean we can't do it, but we would want the city to satisfy itself that, You know, we tried other things. We tried more police officers. We tried more guards. That didn't work. We needed to go to the cameras. So that that would be a good first start. What do you say, Andrew, to those? And we've seen some texts already this morning from our CJOB listeners saying, well, what's the big deal? If you're not doing anything wrong, don't worry about being caught on camera. Well, that's a slippery slope, right? Because, you know, if you're not doing anything wrong, that's sort of in the eye of the beholder and, and... you know, it gets into, well, are we talking about breaking into stores versus I said I was here. Actually, I told my boss I was at work. Now my boss sees this. Is that doing something wrong? And so it gets to the point where, look, I think nowadays we recognize that, that there's a lot of information being collected and it's more about notice. It's about what we're telling people. And so one of the things we'd like to see is, is notice so that, hey, we're doing this. Here are some signs. Here's a policy you can look at. So that way it's an informed choice. Um, and then those people who say, hey, if, you don't, if you're not doing anything wrong, don't worry about it. Well, then they can make that choice, but at least they've had the opportunity to make it as opposed to someone just saying we're going to do this and having the choice made for them. Greg Macklin, go ahead. Yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures in a lot of people's eyes, Andrew. And I would suggest uh, for a lot of us, we're at that desperate point. What, what do you say to that? How do we bridge that gap between privacy and, and something that might be effective? Well, privacy is not an absolute right, and it certainly will yield where there's a legitimate reason. And so it's all about proportionality, Greg. It's about saying, look, we're in these desperate times. We have the need to do this. We've satisfied ourselves that we can't do it any other way, or at least in a less privacy-invasive way. And we think that this is actually going to work. So it's not a case of saying, hey, privacy, don't do this. It's, it's a case of saying, did we look at this? Did we balance the pros and cons? And if we've done that, then there's nothing that says that, that we can't do it. 
Um, you definitely want to see a surveillance policy in place. You'd want to know who's going to see this information, uh, for what uses are they going to see it, who's, who's it going to be shared with, um, how can I get access to it, what if I want to see my recordings, we can make access to information requests, and that includes recordings. So, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. The Manitoba Ombudsman's Office has a great guide in terms of surveillance. This is certainly contemplated. It's just a question of recognizing that there are privacy interests involved, turning our minds to it and doing it right. This might be out of your purview, Andrew, but I'm going to ask anyway, and you let me know. What about the bridging the gap between, the, say, the public enforcement and the private by putting more security guards at businesses to help crack down on crime, in part because the police and the, and the city taxpayer-funded law enforcement only has so much reach? Is there any concerns there about possibly beefing up that private side? Well, certainly not from uh, a privacy perspective. If what we're talking about is just putting security guards in place, I think typically from a privacy angle, you'd say, you know what, you've got the guards there, you can see what they're seeing. We're not as concerned about that. And, and then from a perspective of efficacy and spreading costs around, hey, if the private sector is is willing to chip in, I, I don't uh, see any any issues there. You would just want to make sure that we're not getting into people taking matters into their own hands and and things of that nature. That's probably more the concern there more than it is a privacy thing. Andrew Buck is a partner at Pitt Plato Law and specializes in privacy issues. Joining us live on The Start on CJOB. Andrew, thank you for this. You're most welcome. Take care. Now let's turn it over to Greg Backling and Bob Irving in Calgary. It's a tough act to follow, Bob Irving. Yeah. Those are some great stories. Thanks for sharing those. You know, one of the things that struck me i think i brought this up earlier at the end of the game sunday in regina all the rider fans had left and the bomber fans had had come down to the edge of the stands and there were hundreds of them wearing Mm -hmm. blue and the bomber players all went by took time to go by and high five them it was really neat to see you know and those and the fans just loved it obviously It, it made their just made their day the fact the bombers won and then took the time out to Kolaris, the whole gang went by and high-fived them all. I've long insisted that that is what keeps the Winnipeg Blue Bombers so alive in our hearts and, and is the reason that we cheer for them so feverishly is their connection to the community because they're so accessible and you can go back we're going to talk about 1984 in a minute there are players from that 84 team who still live in winnipeg thrive in winnipeg and are heroes in our community and you can talk to them whenever you see them they they love it that's true and the the affection for the Bombers is so deep-rooted with some people. Some of the texts I got and emails I got after the game on Sunday, people were actually crying. It meant that much to them that the Bombers finally had got to the Grey Cup again. And, you know, you talk about fans living and dying with their teams, and this is nothing new. We've known about this forever, I guess. But it really runs deep into the kind of the fiber of Winnipeg. Uh, for a lot of people, anyway, the, the Bombers matter. They matter greatly. Everywhere I've gone since I got back from Regina, I was only home for about a day and a half. It's, how about those Bombers? I went for a walk one morning, and how about those Bombers? It's it's amazing how they just draw everybody in. Yeah, and there's that immediate connection when people realize that, that you might be a fan as well, and that's all you have to say, go Bombers, or, yeah. you know, there's just a wave or even just a nod. Sometimes it's it, it's a quiet thing. And so 84 was my first Grey Cup 
winning experience. And, uh-huh. and you talk about tears. I can remember sitting on the bottom stair of our staircase to the second floor on our house on Golding Street, crying my eyes out when the Bombers finally won. I was only 15. I didn't wait like my dad did for 22 years for the Bombers to win in between championships. But that whole emotion of 84 and, and that team... I don't want to call them a team of destiny because that in, infers there's some luck involved. That team was just plain and simply one of the best football teams the CFL had ever seen. Yeah, they overpowered Hamilton in that game. Remember, the Ticats got off to a good start. The game was in Edmonton. It was really cold, too. I mean, super cold. Uh, Ticats with Dieter Brock at quarterback got off to a good start, and then the Bombers just roared back, and it was Huffnagel replacing Clements, who got hurt for missed, missed a bit of action. Uh, Joe Pop, Walby, Mikawas, uh, a, Willard Reeves. I mean, that was a fantastic team, and they just overwhelmed the Tiger Cats on that day. I was telling you a story earlier. We we uh, flew on the charter. Red Alex was the morning host on CGOB back then, and we all flew on the charter to Edmonton with the Bombers, and Red was going to do the morning show live from the lobby of the West End Hotel in Edmonton, and he figured he better have some material for the next morning. <laughs> so... He interviewed Norman Gibbs, who was the number three quarterback on the Bombers, on the plane. And I was sitting across the aisle, and those DC-9s we flew on back then were really noisy. And Red's doing this interview, and I'm thinking, there's no way he can put that on the air with the background noise that'll be in there. Uh, but And we didn't have the magic of sending audio the way we can now through our burly system, as we call it, where, you know, it right. goes from here to there, and it sounds like you're in the living room. Red had to plug it in when he did the morning show, and I can't imagine what it sounded like on the air, but he did the morning show from the lobby of the West End Hotel all that week, and uh, Gary Philman came by on the weekend of the championship, and he had a big fur coat on, as I recall. Maybe if Gary's listening, he could uh, correct me, but I'm pretty sure he did. Anyway, that week was really cool, and the excitement before the game, you you know all about this, Greg, Winnipeg was going crazy. Uh, after they beat BC in the final game to finally overcome that hurdle. The big uh, party at the convention center, yeah. the send-off, wow. that yeah. was special, right? Unbelievable. And, and then they won the, the game, of course, and uh, ending the 22-year drought against Hamilton in a western city. You know, there are some parallels here to, <laughs> to what's going on this week. Uh, and, and, yeah, that was a – and I remember uh, Jan Brown was the president of the club. I remember him drinking out of the cup in the locker room and Paul Robson saying – when it's 40 below in January, this will make you all feel warmer. And later that winter in January, somebody saw Paul on the street and said, Robson, it's 40 below, and I don't feel a damn bit better about you winning the Great Cup. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. Lots of stories like that being shared this week, you guys. And uh, we'll do our best to make sure we capture as many as we can and share them with you. I believe the mayor of Winnipeg is in studio, and uh, Mayor Brian Bowman, I understand you're making your way west at some point in the next few days. When can we expect you here in Calgary, and how excited are you uh, to see the Blue Bombers uh, attempt to end this streak of futility? Well, we got a lot of work to do between now and, and Saturday. I'll just be heading out Saturday. I'm going to be trying to uh, meet up with some of the the folks from the city of Winnipeg who were kind enough to, to come out and help us during the storm and, and then rep the city uh, at the national stage. Uh, thrilled that we're there and we've got an opportunity to uh, talk to uh, a national audience that uh, only the CFL provides to talk about the good things that are happening in the city of Winnipeg. And so um, I'm looking forward to it. And like all fans, we're really hoping that there's a uh, drought for us that's ended on Sunday. 
I don't think you're the only one hoping and feeling that, Mr. Mayor. Uh, joining us yeah. by phone this morning, usually in studio, but Greg is in Calgary. we got people all over the place, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> and we want to talk about some of the good things, but we also want to talk about some of the challenges we have in the city. And as you know, we've been doing a whole series this week on downtown crime and taking a look at some of the models used in Calgary, for example, Minneapolis, where they have a lot of security guards and cameras. And they also have uh, more outreach programs, more outreach workers. And we know some of those ideas could be adopted here for our downtown and could be paid for with some private funding, but they also might involve some taxpayer dollars. So where are the conversations in terms of how do we pay for some of these initiatives we're looking at to combat crime in the downtown? Well, we, we, impl- we started implementing a downtown safety strategy well over a year ago, and there was money that was earmarked from the destination marketing tax um, to, to help bolster some of the downtown safety uh, measures. And so we'll continue to look to that, uh, that as a revenue source, but on the on a much bigger scale, I mean, law enforcement relies on members of the police service to do their jobs, and we have an important vote tomorrow on the floor of council, whereby um, members of council will have the choice of uh, continuing to support the status quo, uh, unsustainable uh, police pensions, or, as Councillor Chambers has proposed, redirecting some of those funds uh, to the tune of $20 million to really uh, provide the funds so that we don't have to see almost 60 positions lost over the next four years, and so... Uh, I'm, I'm obviously uh, supporting, uh, you know, changing the pension and making sure we protect frontline policing. And uh, we have that option tomorrow and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, the police union is uh, is, is quite a political force. Uh, they've supported candidates in the past and are are certainly uh, uh, doing their best to influence members of council. I'm hoping that that uh, good public policy will, uh, will 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 win the day ahead of uh, politics and making sure that the union's best interests are protected. It's a pretty controversial topic this time, though, considering Winnipeg and, like much of the provinces, bat- battling a serious spike in crime. So nobody wants to hear about the possibility of 34 police officers and 25 cadets being cut yeah. because they've been mandated to, to hold their budget to a 2% increase. So this motion that's being suggested by Marcus Chambers to divert some funds from the police pension plan back into the budget. So are you voting for your original motion, which is to change the pension plan overall, or are you going to vote as well to have that diver- diversion of funds? Well, uh, Councillor Chambers is a member of the police board. He heard the police chief say, the, you know, how many resources he needed in order to uh, to uh, limit uh, and, and, you know, we, we'd see you're right, a police officer positions lost. I'll be supporting Councillor Chambers' amendment to the, uh, to the original motion and obviously supporting the motion um, because I don't want to see us lose. Right now is not the time uh, to see police officer positions lost. We don't have another funding source. And so... Uh, this is $20 million that can come out of a uh, pension that is not directed at frontline police officer positions. It will also see an additional roughly $20 million that can go into other city services that we know are, are, are being eyed for cuts right now. Um, and so you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I know that's what the union wants. Uh, they want us to spend, continue spending unsustainable uh, amounts of monies in a, in a pension and then they'll also argue that we shouldn't be eliminating police officer positions. Councillors have to make a choice tomorrow, and, and I'm urging all members of council to choose frontline policing over the union's position, which is unsustainable pension. And I also would appreciate the $20 million we can use to limit some of the other program uh, service cuts that are being contemplated in areas like transit and rec services. And so, you know, we, we have to make difficult decisions. I know, um, you know, I, I, I'm not expecting we're going to have more than a handful of, of 
of police union reps and, and members down there. They say they're very busy. We'll see how many actually show up. Uh, they, say they say they're busy, but we'll see tomorrow uh, because we know that they're, they're doing a full court press on members of council uh, in their conversations to influence the vote for the benefit of these pension entitlements. Shifting from police to fire, uh, Mayor Bowman, Firefighters Union President Alex Forrest out this week telling reporters there aren't enough fire trucks in South Winnipeg, particularly the Waverly West area. Do you have any concern on that? Well, obviously, we're going to look to the advice that we're receiving from uh, the, the public service. But um, again, this is a case in point. Uh, there's about $20 million at play uh, in, addition, in addition to saving these police officer positions that could be used for other city services. And so, again, our hands are going to be limited. It's, it's really just math. <laughs> and so you're going to be limited in your ability to fund other core services that the city needs to provide if you continue to do what's been done for many, many years. And um, we see that being played out right now in the budget submissions. Greg, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Mayor Bowman, uh, just as the timing of all this, uh, we've been talking about this meth uh, crisis, and I think uh, the opinion of a lot of Winnipeggers is that we're in the middle of this crime crisis. Why pick this fight now? Why is this the time? Well, we, we do. It's, it's math. You, you look at the math, you look at the numbers, and right now, we know that if we're not able to find additional revenue sources to meet the police chief's uh, request, we're, we're going to lose police officer positions. So now is exactly the time we need to step up and find revenue sources to maintain the police complement that we have. And so, um, you know, like I said, um, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I know, uh, you know, some would think that taxpayers can continue to just give more and more and more, but we do need to make choices. And so right now we see we're proposing to freeze most city budget line items. We're proposing to increase the police complement. Um, If we're not successful in amending the police pension, it will mean that the the likelihood of some of the programs and services elsewhere uh, will will come to fruition. And so I think for those that want to see continued frontline police officer positions maintained, we need to find a funding source. This is one. And I just it, don't know how you can argue that that we're we're, we're struggling with a, a crime epidemic. We're struggling with meth when yeah. it, you're you're sort of drawing a line in the sand here and not saying, well, we're going to do whatever we have to do. And if that means cutting other services or raising taxes, we cannot take police off off the streets. It just feels like a backwards I, I, way of going about no. it. I agree with you that we should not be taking police officers off the street. And we've heard from the police submission at the police board. That's what's being proposed right now. I don't want to see that. I want to see that there are the forces that we need as a city. And we have an identifiable funding source right now. I've heard on CGOB for decades that this police pension is unsustainable. We're answering the call and we're providing an option where we can redirect those funds to frontline policing. And, um, and and that's what I think our citizens expect. It's what I campaigned on. I know the union ran negative attack ads against those types of changes. And what I know we can't do is we can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Well, we'll see what happens at the council meeting tomorrow, Mr. Yeah. Mayor. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Greg Mackling. When we think about the Bombers going to the Great Cup, I think we often think it's just the team, as in the coaches and the players who are making their way to Calgary, but it's an entire organization. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. The The operations of the team have essentially picked up and moved from Winnipeg to Calgary. And we all talk about the idea that silence on radio is not a good thing. In fact, if nothing happens on air for more than three seconds, a little alarm goes on. Well, what about operating in radio silence? Darren Cameron is here. He's the Senior Director of Public and Player Relations. He's with Bob Irving and I this morning. Darren, great to see you. The things that you, you have to do in order to get ready and to not talk about them around certain people yeah. has to be pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the planning for this week uh, certainly started uh, you know, probably closely after the Calgary game. Uh, and then we spent last week meeting every day on logistical stuff. Uh, myself, Matt Galacco, uh, our therapist, uh, tra- equipment staff, Kyle Walters, um, and by the time we got on the plane Sunday night, we had a full itinerary of uh, by minute of how this week would go, and you certainly, uh, you know, you're doing all this stuff and, and knowing that there's a possibility that it, it may not may not be needed, which is tough, but uh, no, it, it has to be done. We had, a, we had a bit of practice on it because we'd gone through it last year. Uh, we were in the same scenario, so, uh, you know, we had an idea of how we wanted it done, and then uh, we'll go from there. The coach doesn't want to hear anything about it. Right? Oh no, we wouldn't dare. <laughs> uh, we wouldn't dare bring it up with him. He, he, you know, the first the first glance he got at any itineraries or anything related to this week was was uh, Sunday night on the plane home. So. Yeah, you don't pop your head in like all last week and say, "Hey, Mike, we're thinking of this. We're thinking of no, that." No, and he knows. You know, he knows <laughs> what's going on. He knows that this is this is being planned. It's funny. We were walking to the media conference after the the game. And he's already on me about, you know, well, we better have this, we better have that. So he's got it in his head. Obviously, yeah. he's been there a bunch of times, so he knows what he's looking for. But yeah. uh, no, you don't uh, you don't dare bring it up with him. The, the travel arrangements now, so the, the league charters the two teams to yeah. the Great Cup, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they just bring the plane in, and you guys don't yeah, have to so worry about that. <clears throat> we set the times with them. Yeah. Uh, kind of, you know, Mike's mandate this whole week has been to try and, and make it as, as similar to a regular road trip as possible. Mm-hmm. So that means leaving later in the afternoon. Um, and the league was great with that. You know, we, we were able to get in. It's 4.30 or so yesterday, so uh, the travel is set to the league. We kind of set the times up, but they set the planes up, and uh, that aspect is, is relatively simple. Tell us how it works with the players get to bring wives, uh, um, partners, uh, friends, kids, whatever. How, how does that all work? Yeah, so, uh, you know, our CEO, Wade Miller, uh, for a number of years has been waiting for, been planning for this for this week, and one of his one of his you know, biggest biggest concerns, and, and as an organization, you know, we met last night as a as a as a full organization here, and the biggest thing for everybody is to make sure the players are not concerned with anything. So, mm-hmm. um, on the plane back from Saskatchewan Sunday night, they all, every player was given a, a travel form and a certain travel allowance, uh, and they could you know they were cert- assigned to certain staff members um, from our admin office who they met with the next day got all the travel stuff set up and certainly there's going to be some glitches that come up and, and, and you know guys want change changes made and things like that but it's uh you know i think that that wade wade's done a, a pretty pretty awesome job of making sure the guys are set up and uh, can focus on on football because you know beginning this morning that's really what what counts for them so yeah that's got to be i know the coaches and the managers they want the players laser focused and there's a lot of outside distractions right that yeah absolutely and I, you know like one of the things I think we've noticed in the past, and, and and for me being here just once before, was was when you're getting into Thursday, Friday, and guys are still worrying about tickets and and whether their mother's coming in and, mm-hmm. and how that's working, uh, that can be an issue, you know. And um, we had a meeting uh, Monday morning at 11 with the with the with the players. Uh, then they broke off into groups and got all the travel set up, and 
Um, each each player has a, has a liaison that they can contact if they have any issues throughout the week uh, with their with their travel arrangements, things like that. But uh, you know, I, I think it's relatively set. I mean, we Jennifer Thompson uh, is leading that from our up, upstairs office, and uh, you know, she she was on the plane with us last night, and she was working on her computer the whole time, asking her how it's going, and she says things are relatively smooth. So. Yeah. Uh, they'll be, inevitably there'll be something comes up, but there yeah. always is, but uh, it's going good so far. Yeah, it's frantic behind the scenes, Greg. This is what people, hey, the Bombers are going to play in the Grey Cup, but what goes on behind the scenes is remarkable. Well, it's a big deal. It's uh, going to be the biggest game in the lives of many of these football players so far. Yep. They hope to do it again, but they're, they're going to quickly realize how difficult it is to do mm-hmm. this year after year. Darren Cameron, your calm, cool demeanor obviously helps out in situations like this, so we appreciate you stopping by this that. morning. Thanks you sounded like Zach Polaris, didn't he? Does just, you know, just, yeah, well, that's a matter of fact, of fact yeah. yeah. Certainly can't throw a football like him. So. <laughs> that is true. Thanks, guys. <laughs> great, great, great to have you here. Guys, uh, the Blue Bombers are, are taking this, uh, this whole idea of superstition one step further, right? Because they're... They're even wearing their uh, white road jerseys. Mm-hmm. Normally, they would wear blue jerseys as the home team, but they've won their last two games in those road whites. They're playing in a foreign stadium, so why not go with the white one more time? Works for me. Yeah. yeah. That way, I think you, it's a brilliant move. Yeah, when you put it that way, there's really no no arguing with that. So, Greg Mackling and Bob Irving in Calgary will continue to join us throughout the start here on 680 CJOB. Shaping up for a decent weekend in Calgary. We're getting that snow today. And we want to talk, Greg, about snow now because almost two months has passed since that fall storm. We all remember closed roads. It shut down power to tens of thousands of Manitobans. And I think while you all like to think we're prepared for serious weather events, that's not always the case, particularly when it comes to keeping businesses open. A recent poll done by Angus Reid found when it comes to natural disasters, Manitobans, they rank winter storms at the top of their list of concerns, which makes sense because we get many of them. But only 26% of businesses said they were prepared for future emergencies. Jamie Mackey is the Regional Vice President for First On-Site Restoration and joins us now. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. How are you doing? That's good. I'm good. We're good. It surprises me to hear about that low percentage of people for being prepared for emergencies. What's behind that, do you think? Well, you know, a lot of people, they have the attitude it can't happen to us. But as we see with our weather and weather pattern changes, it does happen more and more often now. And, uh, you know, get look at the snowfall this year, like you were just speaking about. Over 21,000 people without power and some for a number of days. So, you know, it's very tough. You don't know what's coming, so it's it's very important to be prepared, especially in the winter. And in this most recent storm, a lot of people were left without power for two weeks, but communications also were raised as a huge issue. Absolutely. I mean, it's so important to make sure you're, you know, everyone has their cell phones and things like that. Keep them charged, uh, be able to get a hold of people. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things like that go down right away, and, and businesses just aren't prepared for that. Businesses aren't prepared. I think Winnipeggers and Manitobans sometimes aren't. Like, what are some of the things we should be doing? You know, and I'm not just talking about putting my Sorrells in the back of the car in case I have a, a car accident. You know, is there things I should be doing or watching for on my roof as we get into the winter or other? Absolutely, but I will say you are correct. You should keep boots, a toque, and gloves in the back of your vehicle at all times. I know I do, so I highly recommend that to everyone. But, um, yeah, you know, you always watch your roof, especially if you have a lower slope roof. 
The snow tends to uh, really uh, pile up towards your eaves trough, which can cause ice damming and cause all sorts of damage inside later as it melts and freezes, melts and freezes. So some of the things you can do there, if it's safe and you can reach it, if you can try and knock down some of that snow or get people to, uh, like professionals to come over and and, uh, shovel it off for you, uh, it can save a lot of damage. Uh, Businesses with flat roofs, you know, we've seen many of them collapse before just from the weight, especially in this type of weather where it's warm, cold, warm, cold. So it gets very heavy and Jamie, that weight can accumulate and cause damage. Sorry, Jamie. Yeah. That freeze thaw cycle is hard on our roads, but it's really hard on roofs. And, and uh, as you mentioned, the whole idea of, of your flat roof being at a higher, at a higher susceptibility to failure in weather like that. But ice damming overall has to be a, a huge uh, issue for folks. But for me, the, the number one thing I think I've started thinking about since Thanksgiving is a backup generator. Absolutely. Um, but when you have a generator, and it depends where you are. You can't always run diesel generators. Uh, a lot of places you can, but not everywhere. Businesses, it's important to have that as your backup. Um, you know, you got to make sure you have the fuel. you got to have fuel availability. Uh, there's a lot of things that go with it, but I mean, any kind of backup power you can have. That's why you see a lot of businesses and all that. They do have backup generators. That is one of the most important things you can have to keep your doors open. Jamie Mackey, Regional Vice President for First On-Site Restoration, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you for the time, Jamie. Much appreciated, sir. Thanks. You guys have a great day, and we'll chat soon. And now, when it comes to clearing off a roof, you can buy a tool for that, right? What do you call that? Just like a snow rake or something? Yeah, a roof hockey rake. stick. Yeah. <laughs> <A> hockey stick. <laughs> I've used hockey sticks on the car for sure. I don't know if I'd climb on the roof and do it. But they're like all the little things, Greg, that you really don't think about. We had that storm, and we talked repeatedly about, oh, wow, I never thought about the generator. I never thought about all the candles or the matches or the lighter. And then and then six weeks has passed or seven weeks has passed, and I haven't added any of those things to my home. Well, he, well, even, mentioned that, he even mentioned the comment, keep your cell phone charged. And this happens to me every day because I blow through, mm-hmm. like, like I've got a big battery phone here and by the time I leave, it'll be below 50% because I'm always using it through the show and then I get home and I'll use it more and it'll get down to like 2%, mm-hmm. 3%. And that's your only phone, right? Yeah. So if, if the power goes out and my phone's at 3%, well, then I'm screwed. So you need to make sure you have a good car charger and, and keep charging it all the time. How many of our listeners did we say, uh, we actually made the suggestion, do you have a car charger for you? I do. Well, you can go out in your car and charge your phone. It's just t- thinking those two or three steps in advance because we're not always in that predicament, right? Greg, I have one more question for you. I think in the back of the interview, I don't, Jamie was calling us uh, from his phone, and I heard some banging. I'm not sure if it was on his end or yours, but you're at a hotel <laughs> in Calgary, so I'm just trying to figure out what's going on behind you. Well, I'm on what they call the plus 15 level of the Sheraton Suites in Eau Claire Market, and if you've never been to Calgary, uh, you think that the Skywalk system in Winnipeg is a, is a neat thing. In Calgary, every major building pretty much is connected, what they call the plus 15 system. And this Sheraton is no different. It's at the far north end of the downtown near Eau Claire Market. And you could walk all the way. Well, I used to work in Gulf Canada Square, which is, I think, nine blocks south of here. And I could walk uh, all the way there without going outside. So there just happens to be an access point here. Big, heavy oak doors that are slamming behind folks mm. as they come in out. Uh, and by the way, you haven't bugged me about my garage in a while. <laughs> Guess what I have in my garage? Hockey sticks. 
I'll have probably a dozen hockey sticks, but I have a roof rake. So if you need one, I would be happy to lend it to you. So just so you know, I have one in stock. Greg, it sounds like it's already been quite a beehive of activity. Yeah, the Blue Bomber's been up and at it for quite a while here. It's uh, just after 8 o'clock, and uh, I was here by 3.45, and by 4.30, Richie Hall, the defensive coordinator, I saw him wandering around, and and Loren, I'm going to tie this back to Minidosa and Brandon for just a real quick second here, because I'm not around the team all the time, so I'm going in my memory bank trying to remember all the players, and I've seen Willie Jefferson, Brandon Alexander, Buck Pierce, Paul Lapolis have been, Strevler's been... Matt Nichols has been all in and around where we are set up this morning. And Tom Burgess was the quarterback of the Blue Bombers back in 1990 when the Bombers won the Grey Cup. Burgess is a name from Brandon Mm -hmm. and Minidosa. Well, Ken Burgess was the mayor of Brandon when I lived there as a kid. And I always, as a fan, whenever I bumped into Tom Burgess, I always called him Ken. Oh, boy. (laughs) Mixed it up. Yeah. Mixed it up. Burgess's big name. They had the grocery store in Minidosa, too. I think one of the Burgesses was my lawyer when we bought our house. Yeah. Good connection. Nice job. It is. Yeah, well, just, uh, just. Try and remember everybody's face and everybody's name is a challenge for me at the best of time. But let me tell you, the Bombers are working hard, but there's a name and a face that uh, I wish I was uh, seeing the face this morning. Our good friend Catherine from Calia Flowers, you're going to see her face on the Dragon's Den. Catherine, so, so proud of you. Can't wait to see the episode. When do we get to see it? Yeah, we're going to be on Dragon's Den for Calia Flowers tomorrow night, so Thursday, November 21st, and it's quite the countdown to get there. So for the uninitiated, what is Calia Flowers? Yeah, so Calia is the best new experience sending flowers, and so we're a Winnipeg-based company that makes it sending sending flowers easy. So all online ordering, just three clicks, sorry, five clicks at Calia.com, just three bouquets at a time based on what's in season, and then we deliver them in these beautiful boxes. You're a young entrepreneur, Greg and Brett have been following you for, is it three years? That's when you first bought yeah. yeah, Catherine on. I met you last year. Now in studio with us, we also have Alana Elfenbaum. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. I missed the part <laughs> off air where we did this. I was doing other things. So <laughs> no she worries. leads Calia Operations in the product team, and you've been with the business since the beginning as well. Let's talk a little bit about that growth because you mentioned that five-click uh, plan there, Catherine. But Alana, it, it, is this the right number? Six hundred nine percent year over year growth. It's been yeah. a lot of growth. <laughs> Yeah, wow. absolutely. It wasn't always uh, the five clicks, but we've got a really great team um, that works really hard to you know, make it as easy as possible, um, as simple as possible, so that we're always delivering not only an amazing product, um, but also a really, really great experience. So you're in 22 markets now. When we first interviewed you, you, what was the context in which we first interviewed you, Catherine? Yeah, I met you guys about two and a half years ago. Callie had just launched. It was just an idea at the time. um, And we had won a pitch day competition hosted by Innovate Manitoba at the time. Um, And it was really just an incubated idea. Could we make this experience better? Could we use technology to solve flowers? Um, But we've been really fortunate to have a group of customers that has made this experience viral, um, who kept asking, can you you open in Edmonton? Can you open in Vancouver? And so we solved Western Canada last year. Um, and then this spring, it was, are we going to go to the East or not? And so that's really what Alana has been working on for the last 
kind of four months to, to bring Eastern Canada to life. And See, Toronto's in that mix? Yes. Yeah, we got it uh, got it launched in time for Dragons Den. It was definitely quite the countdown, but uh, yeah, we're really excited. What do you even need the Dragons That's what for? I was going to say. I mean, if you've expanded <laughs> across Canada, I mean, where we, unless it's worldwide domination. <laughs> you know, we'll never rule it out. <laughs> but, but seriously, the Dragon's Den, is it more just about the fun of it? Or do you have other plans and places you'd like to take it that you'd, you want their participation in, Catherine? Yeah, you know, when we first talked about going to the Dragon's, it was how can we... Um, it, it was an inflection point. Did we want it this to just be kind of an interesting Western Canada Winnipeg-based business or do we want to take it national? Um, and I go back to what I said. It was our customers who kept asking um, and saying that I need to be able to send to my aunt in Toronto and my cousin in Halifax and my sister in Fredericton. Um, and so to do that, we needed to do two things. We needed to get the involvement of some people who um, had the connections to be able to help us do that and some capital as well, um, but also use that as an opportunity to launch nationally and talk about Calia to people in the East that we hadn't seen before. Alana, mm. you're appearing on Dragon's Den tomorrow. Are you actually in the pitches? I'm not. Okay. No. <laughs> no. So Calia is appearing on yeah. Dragon's Den tomorrow with Catherine, but... How do you plan for that? Because oh, I'm guessing yeah. that's going to give you guys a little bit of a bump. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's been really, it's been interesting planning for it because the reality is we just don't know, um, especially considering we're working with perishable items. We try to keep things as fresh as possible. So we're trying to plan this, um, all this inventory and all these ingredients, but you know, we don't want to plan too far in advance because it's got to stay as fresh as possible. Um, so it's been a little bit, a little bit crazy, um, but definitely doing the best that, that we can um, and hoping for the best. Yeah. Greg? Well, you know, I don't know if it was Alana or Catherine that said you solved Western Canada last year. <laughs> and I'm always marveling at the words that are used in entrepreneurship these days because that, that meld between success and technology. So critical. Can you expand upon that a little bit? And just that idea of how maybe the the conversation and the terminology is evolving in business. Yeah, you know, I think for us, we really like the challenge of being in this business. Um, without giving anything away, one of the things that you'll hear tomorrow um, from the Dragons is that this is a difficult business um, because it's perishable product, as Alana said. So we can only work with these flowers a week, maybe a week and a half before they're no longer to the quality that we want, um, preferably even just a couple of days. Um, and we're having to deliver it in painful Canadian temperatures um, and trying to do that as locally as possible. And so um, for us, we look at it as kind of a unique combination of, of challenges to be able to deliver that experience every time. And so when I say solve, you know, I think typically in e-commerce, it's like, oh, well, you know, you just start shipping with Canada Post and off you go and you can access whatever market you want. You know, global domination is easy. Um, but in our space, because we're so committed to the quality of those flowers and the delivery all the way last mile, um, we've set that standard really high. And I know we've talked about it with you guys before, like we have a 100% happiness guarantee. It has to be perfect every time. Um, and that means when we go to launch, Alana's standard, she has a, it's got to be 150 steps you go through to launch a city. Yeah. yeah like there's so many pieces to make sure that um, we get that experience tight every time. The episode airs tomorrow night, Catherine, but it's been a while. When did you appear on the show? Yeah. So we actually filmed Dragon's Den with Calia back two days before Mother's Day, um, which was an interesting timing for a floral business. So we've been sitting on this for a while. And how has, have you, have you been able to tell anybody? I can't tell anyone. The, they make you sign a long, long NDA keeping it secret. So it's been, it's been a challenge. That's for sure. Stressful? I've often wondered that with those shows, right? Like, how do you keep the lid on things? Who, there's always, who's that reality Steve or somebody who's always like sharing with the world about Bachelor and Bachelor of Paradise. So yeah, you don't want to be that guy. Totally. 
So, Alana, yeah. product lines. You do the products, you do operations, you're getting ready for Dragon's Den, you're coming into the holiday season. So how do you decide on the designs and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Um, we always strive to work with seasonal ingredients and flowers. Um, that's kind of one way we can keep the value really, really great uh, for our customers. Um, and actually, the timing worked out really nicely with uh, Dragon's Den. We're just getting into our holiday product line. Um, so we're really excited to share those with us. Lots of pine cones, <laughs> lots of, uh, yeah, lots of a very nice wintry um, holiday ingredients, so it's going to be really nice. Yeah, we're big fans of focusing on entrepreneurs who started something here in this city, city, but also stay in the city because it might be easy to go when you see growth and expansion. And you said you solved the west, you're moving into the east. You've got the Dragon's Den appearance tomorrow night. Any ever thoughts to say, oh, I could maybe do this more successfully outside of Winnipeg? You know, I love Winnipeg, Lauren. Um, and I think I'm so proud to have built Calia here as a Winnipeg company. And I intend to keep it a Winnipeg-based company. Um, we have a phenomenal team. And that's, you know, I didn't want to build Calia for fame or for a bunch of money or for whatever else. I wanted to build it to have a really great place to go to work every day and work with awesome people. Um, and I am so, so, so proud of our team um, that I think have all the core Winnipeg values. They work really hard. They like to have a lot of fun, but they're team oriented at the end of the day. It's not about me. It's not about ego for anybody on our team. It's about us. Um, and so I love that about our company and Calia being based in Winnipeg is what I intend to keep. Greg, you got a quick closing thought? Well, I'm thinking I'm not a dragon, more like a grasshopper, but you can have all my money after that pitch. <laughs> I am in. I've been in on Calia Flowers from the get-go. So proud of you ladies and uh, uh, can't wait to see the episode. Uh, I'll say good luck even though you know how it all turns out. Can't I'll take the luck anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what time does the episode air? 8 p.m. Uh, local time across the country. Catherine Matricky, founder of Calia Flowers and Alana Elfenbaum who leads the Calia operation and product team. The episode of Dragon's Den airs tomorrow night. Thank you very much for visiting us. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.